You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, November 17th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor, Jacob Hall. Uh, hello, hello. Jacob, how's it going? Uh, can we not talk about real life? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's uh, outside of SlashFilm.com. Uh, November 2022 has been a rough one, but thankfully I've been reading and watching stuff to keep my mind off of everything I've been having to do that you guys don't need to know about. Okay, excellent. Uh, I like that transition. I will briefly just mention one thing that I've been reading. It's called The Devil and Sherlock Holmes by David Gran. And I remember this book becoming on my radar, I think, because you and Chris talked about it on an episode of the podcast a long time ago. Um, my wife read it a little while ago and she enjoyed it and I uh, just finally got around to it. This book came out in 2010. It's a collection of 12 essays by David Gran. And, uh, you know, like, like most um, sort of anthology things, there are some that are, are better than others, some stories in here that are better than others, but I would say a majority of them I really enjoyed. And, and I really, really love the first, um, I guess, story in this, the first essay in this collection, uh, which is called Mysterious Circumstances. And it's about a Sherlock Holmes um, aficionado, a sort of like a, a guy who's obsessed with 
um, you know, he, he was in like a Sherlock Holmes societies and, and all of this, and he died a mysterious death. And there was uh, a lot of uh, conspiracies about what actually caused his death and whether he was going to, um, you know, blow some sort of uh, re- revelation wide open in the, in the um, really insular world of Sherlock Holmes um, paraphernalia and all of that. Um, super, super fascinating stuff. And that's just the first story. And there are several other great ones in here. So I just wanted to give a recommendation for this book and, uh, and to thank you guys for putting it on my radar. So uh, mission accomplished, Jacob. Yeah, this book is great. Uh, I, like you said, I remember vividly some of these essays. Uh, for those who don't know, Dave Grant is a journalist and reporter. He wrote um, Killers, of the, Killers of the Flower Moon, the uh, uh, true crime book that Martin Scorsese is adapting for his next film. Uh, and several of the stories in this collection have become films themselves, including mm-hmm. uh, uh, if you've seen the documentary The Imposter or the Robert Redford movie The Old Man and the Gun, were all adapted from this. So it's, um, it's an outstanding collection. I really recommend it once again. Yeah, there's one other thing that I'll just tease in here. There's a story called City of Water. And Jacob, I don't know if this one like sticks in your mind, but it's all about the the water infrastructure of New York City and like how perilous everything is. And it's just sort of like hanging on by duct tape and chewing gum and like how close the city is to like utter destruction and devastation because of all the tunnels and underground, uh, you know, labyrinthine um, uh whatever you would call that there's like an entire system underneath the city that yeah uh, that delivers the water to everyone and it's some, one of those things that you don't think about but david grand takes you down into that world and it's just like mind-blowing to think about yeah it's uh i david grand has a has a um has a real knack i think for taking these really really specific concepts and making them feel narrative and almost cinematically satisfying he also wrote um Lost City of Z was adapted into a movie a few years ago. He's yeah. the reason why his work keeps on being adapted is that you read his, his journalism and it it conjures up actual images and characters and storylines in your head. Yes, for sure. Okay, so what have you been reading? Uh, I've been mostly catching up on my big pile of The New Yorker. There's there's a, a joke on The Good Place um, where a character is in hell and their punishment is to sit in a room with a pile of unread copies of The New Yorker. Um, <laughs> And I, I kind of became me. I fell behind. I fell behind by about two months um, due to travel or other obligations. But I'm officially caught up on reading the New Yorker, which is the magazine I endorse and enjoy a great deal. So uh, I've read as many books as I like, so I've been catching up on that. But I do want to shout out um, "War on the Border" by Jeff Gwynn. I've talked about Jeff Gwynn's books on this podcast before. He wrote the um, for me the, the definitive book about, about the Jonestown massacre. He wrote a incredible book. I talked to you about Ben about the true story of the shootout, the OK Corral, and mm-hmm. and, Wyatt Earp. and this book is about um, the uh, conflict, the um, the uh, not quite war, but or police action uh, when General John J. Pershing uh, in nineteen fourteen, nineteen fifteen, took U.S. troops across the border into Mexico to track down Pancho Villa, the Mexican revolutionary, who was. Um, trying to stir up trouble by attacking uh, U.S. troops to draw them into Mexico so he could have uh, more support from Mexican citizens in his revolution, saying, see, look, the, the current government's letting American forces in. Um, but to get to that point, to get to why that is incredibly complex, confusing quagmire, yet, uh, the book goes back a century to, uh, to, to Mexico becoming its own independent nation and how from moment one, the United States treated Mexico like garbage. There's not one moment in the, in the history of Mexico as, as an independent nation where the United States is not treating them like second-class garbage. And it, it tracks a century of history leading up to how 
U.S. armed forces like literally walked across the border and essentially got in a three-way fight between the Mexican government and Mexican revolutionaries. It didn't end well for anybody. It's just, um, and, uh, meanwhile, while all this is happening, Texas Rangers are just murdering as many Mexican Americans as they can find. So it's all it's all a huge, awful nightmare and a quagmire and a disaster. But I think Jeff Gwynn, he's, he's a Dallas-based writer. Uh, he he has, he he rotates between true crime novels and novels about a historical Southwest. Hmm. And he's so honest and blunt and empathetic. And he's the kind of when people ask me about like what I see in Texas and why I live in Texas, like Jeff Gwynn captures that. He's he's the kind of He's he has such a clear eyed view of this region uh, and why it's fascinating and why people want to be here, but also why how legend has clouded so much of how we view history. Hmm. Uh, and he just is increasing become one of my favorite writers. His next book is out early next year. And it's about the uh, uh, Waco standoff, which combines his two specialties, which is Southwest history and true crime. So I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty. I have that one pre-ordered on Amazon. I'm very excited to read that next. Nice. Okay, you've also been reading something else too, right? Yeah, I, re- I read a book called Old Country by Matt Query and Harrison Query. This is an interesting one, Ben. Are you the kind of person like me who occasionally falls down, um, like online or specifically um, Reddit horror stories? No, I've never. Uh, I've never done that. Well, Old Country was a. Uh, it originally had a much, a, a much, a much different title. One I th- actually think is better. I think I think it was called um, "My Wife and I Bought a Ranch," and it was literally just a um, a red story posted to the, the, the No Sleep subreddit where people post horror stories. Where I'd say about ninety percent of them are garbage, and about ten percent, maybe about five percent of them are pretty good. And then you get that five percent where it's like, oh, this person's actually really good, and they they post something really, really scary. And this original story, I found legitimately gripping. And like really scary and suspenseful, um, and the guys who wrote it, um, this, this brother team, Matt Query and Harrison Query, they sold the rights to Netflix and they wrote a novel version of it, presumably because it's easier to adapt a novel than a Reddit story. Um, so having read the original story on online, I figured I read the book, and the book's good. But my one issue is that part of what made the Reddit thing so captivating was that it kind of sort of read like you were reading somebody's forum post, like, "Hey, this actually happened to me." And it had sort of a found footage element to it. You know, it was rough around the edges. It was, you know, posted straight to Reddit. So it felt like you were sort of walking in on somebody's bad time. So it kind of had this rough, gritty reality to it. Mm-hmm. And when it becomes a fictional book, you know, it's it just it's a pretty good horror novel. It has some really good ideas. It's scary. It's basically, it's basically just a bit about a, a couple who buy a ranch in the, in the mountains of America. They get there and their neighbors tell them, oh, yeah, there's a mountain spirit who cursed this land. And you need to complete these rituals several times a year in order to survive. And it's about how they settle into the land and um, have to deal with the terror that they're sharing it with something supernatural that means them harm unless they follow very specific rules. Huh. Um, it's, it's, it's a good read. Like it's, it's going to be a really good movie. Like you read this book and you go, oh yeah, this, this is a book written to be a screenplay. Um, so it, it, I think I think that if you if that intrigues you, the book's worth reading. But I also think you can get the, the Reddit version online for free. And you can also wait for the Netflix adaptation whenever they get around to making that. Okay. All right. So that's called Old Country, if you want to check that out. Uh, let's get into what we've been watching, Jacob. It looks like you've uh, been diving into the, the world of uh, reality competition shows. <laughs> well, because of the above-mentioned rough times uh, outside of work, uh, my wife and I have been watching old episodes of The Amazing Race. Netflix randomly added seasons five and seven of The Amazing Race, the CBS reality show 
about people who race around the world uh, in, in like big tasks and you know to win a million dollars. Ben, did you ever watch Amazing Race, or do you watch I, Amazing Race? I didn't. I know that Mike White, I think, was either a fan of it or maybe like I, I think a contestant of it, uh, and he yeah, went on to create Father. Yeah. Okay. All right. But uh, it's. I thought we put on an episode or two and just be like, yeah, okay, we'll watch this for nostalgia's sake because it's old, you know, mid two thousands reality TV, and we, my wife and I, both used to watch it before we fell off. So it's like on season thirty now. Who can watch that much Amazing Race? <laughs> uh, but man, old Amazing Race is really fun. Ben, we watched all of one. We, all, we watched all of one season, and we're going to watch the next one on Netflix, and I think more of it may be available on Hulu. We, we need, I need to track that down, and it's really funny because you can see a lot of the old reality TV, TV like tropes at play. And every episode, people are saying things that get them canceled immediately in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some goof, there's a lot of goofball stuff, but also there's like real, occasionally the, the show captures something very, very real. And that's when you're watching, oh man, this is, this is why I watch this. It me, it's fun to see people wander around Puerto Rico trying to find a hidden clue or getting lost on a, on a, on a back road in Africa and freaking out. But like there's an episode where, uh, the, the, there's a like in order to get through um, a, a, a fast forward it's called an optional task unless you skip a leg of the racing right to the end of, the, of, of that leg uh, two characters in India not two characters two contestants in India have to shave their heads as part of a, a Hindi uh, spiritual ritual and the, the man the, the husband already has his head shaved but the uh, the wife realizes that they've wasted so much time getting this ritual that if she doesn't shave her head um, then they potentially lose the race and lose a million dollars you watch the camera capture her in real time, make the decision to do it, and she like weeps as they cut her hair. And you realize that this is like something a very, very real human moment in the middle mm-hmm. of this really reality show, and and like it somehow it just made the whole thing feel worth it. So, oh, amazing race! It's on Netflix. I again saw odds watching it. Okay, what else have you been checking out? Uh, I watched VHS ninety nine, which is streaming on Shutter. This is the uh, fifth VHS movie. Uh, the last one was VHS ninety four. This one's VHS 99. I think the next one's going to be VHS 85. They're doing them all tied to years now after the original three films. Uh, VHS 99 is not great, Ben. This mm. is my least favorite VHS movie, and I'm a sucker for found footage movies. This one feels really cobbled together. Uh, the anthology, It's a horror anthology. It's five segments, each one directed by a different filmmaker. Uh, one of them is really interesting, and one of them is really excellent, and the other three are all actively kind of bad. Um, but I just want to point out, though, that the... Um, the one I really like is from directors Joseph Winter and Vanessa Winter, who directed the recent horror uh, movie Deadstream, which is the best found footage horror movie I've seen in a long time and is really, really excellent. In case you're worried that we're like a one-hit thing, they're short in VHS, which, which ends the movie, which is about a um, two documentarians who are filming a uh, satanic ritual to summon a demon. Actually, it's summoned through the portal into hell as a found footage uh, horror segment set in hell. As wow. Of hell. And it's extremely entertaining. They have a, um, both Deadstream and their short have a real Sam Raimi vibe. Like, I don't understand how, I don't, if you told me beforehand that they, at the, the horror slapstick of Sam Raimi could be translated into found footage horror, I wouldn't have believed you. But they do it with this short and with Deadstream. And I'm just officially convinced that, um, uh, Joseph Winter and Vanessa Winter are like, in, like if anybody is going to say found footage from itself, then it's these two. They're, they're really impressive. So this is the reason to watch VHS 99. Pretty much the only reason. It sounds like they're the type of people that are about to get plucked to jump up into some sort of big franchise or something. I hope so, because uh, anecdotally, 
they were at Fantastic Fest uh, uh, earlier this year, and where uh, and Deadstream had played at South by Southwest, and I did not meet them, but I had some friends who did speak to them. Apparently, they were shocked that people were interested in them. They were legitimately like surprised, and like sh- and like saying, "Oh, uh, we're going to ride this while we can because clearly no one's going to." People are going to think that Deadstream is uh, not good enough for us to do more work, and and they, they apparently were just very, very. It had not sunk in that people like their work. Yeah, humble. And, and I want to make it clear: I think these two are legit. I'm very excited to see what they do next. Awesome. Uh, okay, what else have you been checking out? I'm assuming people have already talked about this podcast already, but I just want to briefly touch on Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, a movie that made me cry a whole bunch, but I'm not convinced it's actually good. Mm. So I know you flat out did not like this movie, right, Ben? Yeah, I was I was really disappointed. There are like a couple elements of it. I really like Lupita Nyong'o and and everything that she's doing, and I feel like she should have been a much more like a much larger presence in the movie. Um, but yeah, that that's my sort of <laughs> my very few positive takeaways. Uh, most of them involve her time on screen, which is not often. Yeah, it's um, I like parts of it i think as a movie it's a big old mess but I think there are individual characters moments ideas concepts that i think are really really effective i think anytime it's about directly dealing with death of t'challa it's a really effective movie and the and it's because that seems what's on everybody's minds but i don't know i just think that it, it may be the worst third act action scene of any marvel movie in recent memory i yeah. found it really bad yeah, we didn't have much time to, to get into that on our... Peter and I did a, a spoiler discussion earlier this week. And um, yeah, it's just... It's like so... Uh, it feels so generic in a way that Ryan Coogler's movies don't typically. And, um, you know, it, it yeah, like just out, out on a, a, a tanker ship in the middle of the ocean and, you know, just creatures flying around left and right. And the way that it all sort of comes to an abrupt end too just feels really... Um, I don't know disingenuous with the tonality that that was shown before and it, the, the some certain characters being in you know big iron man ish cg suits and stuff just flying around blasting <laughs> it, just, it just sort of it didn't feel like the it felt like the personal touch that ryan cooler brought to these things was completely gone during that moment yeah i mean i probably doesn't blame them clearly they this really feels like a script that was rewritten when Chadwick Boseman died. The, yeah. you, you can really, really see, you can imagine, you can, you can unfortunately imagine in your head the Namor scenes um, with him and Shuri being him and T'Challa. Mm-hmm. And I I just think that's a better movie. And I hate yeah. to say it because I, I don't want to say speak poorly of Shuri, who's a, who's a fine character when she's playing a supporting role. But I just don't think she's built to lead a movie. And it's, it ends up being a huge problem. Yep, I agree. I agree. Uh, any any other uh, positive or negative takeaways from Wakanda Forever that you wanted to mention? Um, no. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I, I, I didn't put it on here, but I will say that um, I was very excited uh, to hear just the other day that you are fully caught up on Andor, uh, which to me is the pop culture event of the year somehow. It's so good, Jacob. I don't understand how it's so good. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I thought, I really genuinely thought my favorite new show of the year was Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Then a freaking Star Wars show is up <laughs> atop Strange New Worlds. Look, I'm going to write about this at some point. I'm going to try to find the time to write about it. But I think it's incredible that the best Star Trek in years was a new Star Trek show that said, all right, double, double back in the basics, get traditional, go back to the core. Why does Star Trek work? Just meat and potatoes done extremely well whereas the best star wars show in years says 
break all the rules or redefine Star Wars. And, and, and to me, it tickles me to no end that these two are out in the same year doing completely different things, but, but but like winning my heart over and equally. I, I think it's an, an amazing turn of events for both. Yeah, both truly wonderful stuff. What a time to be alive. Um, okay, speaking of times to be alive, uh, Elvis, the 2022 movie. What a, what a time to for Baz Luhrmann to make a movie about Elvis, a biopic that uh, you could argue is, I don't know, 20 years too late or something at least. Um, but despite all odds, Jacob, I, you know, I remember, I think HT was talking to me about this. Maybe other people on this podcast were talking to me about this, how basically like setting me up for how much I was probably going to hate this movie, given all of the, the tropes and like the, um, how little I cared for Moulin Rouge when I caught up with that for the first time within the past year or two. Uh, despite all odds, I actually came away kind of liking Elvis. I I thought I was going to hate it. I, I heard nothing but sort of, um, insane things about like the uh the breakneck pacing that this movie has and i thought that i was not going to be able to handle that well but in context it actually works pretty well and i I was kind of shocked to see that i was mostly on the movie's wavelength the um the tom hanks performance which you know when you see you know uh, one or two minute snippets or something out of context on twitter just looks completely cartoonish in like a um in in like almost an offensive way uh actually kind of sort of works even though he's buried under ridiculous amounts of makeup and looks buffoonish and like there are absolutely other people that could have played that role in a more um i don't know authentic way or something but like somehow this bizarre glint in his eye he's able to just through the power of like sheer magnetism do some imbue that character with some sort of charisma and like thing where you can't really look away from what he's doing. Uh, I kind of hated myself for thinking that he was okay or, or even pretty good at times in the movie, but like, what am I going to do? That's how I felt. So um, yeah, Elvis, like I, I definitely did not hate it. And I, I went into it like fully expecting, like wanting to like it, of course, but um, as I do with every movie, but like really expecting that I was not going to appreciate this. And I actually found a lot to appreciate, in it, which is uh, truly shocking to me. Yeah. Elvis is making the rounds on HBO recently. So even though I saw it in theaters, every time it's on HBO, my, my, my wife tends to put it on. She, she loves this movie, like, a lot, a lot. She saw it several times in theaters. And if Elvis is on HBO and she's channel surfing, she'll just say on Elvis. So I've probably seen Elvis about 12 times now. Like, wow. In various <laughs> pieces, like, scattered across my days. Um, this movie's great. I think Austin Butler is incredible. I, I, um, I, I may have told the story already. I apologize if I did. But there's a moment in the movie where... Uh, it cuts from footage of Austin Butler to footage of the real Elvis singing. Mm-hmm. I was so invested in Austin Butler that I did not notice the cut. And I thought I was watching Austin Butler still. And then I realized, oh no, that's, that's real Elvis. And it was, it's for me, one of the like most remarkable moments of the year. Cause I did, I straight up was that invested in what he was doing. Yeah. It's, I mean, he is like really going for it in a great way, like super um, committed performance and like, uh, hits all the right emotions and like even if you don't care for the movie around him i think the movie's watching just for his performance alone so uh that's elvis is streaming on hbo max right now uh, i also watched a movie called the wonder which just came out yesterday it's on netflix right now it stars uh, florence Pugh as a um a, an english nurse who goes out to this rural village in ireland in the, the 1860s and there's this girl this young girl there who i think is something like nine or 10 years old and her family claims that she has not eaten anything for four months. And it's like 
this sort of miraculous thing. And this, uh, this nurse goes out there to essentially keep watch over this girl to see what's really going on. Is there some sort of like miracle happening or is there something, you know, more insidious going on? What, what is really happening here? And it's this sort of like, uh, Wikipedia calls it a psychological period drama. I guess that's, that's what I would call it as well. Um, and uh, Florence Pugh is great in this. I mean, she's she's really like uh, time and again proving herself to be like truly one of the like the mega stars of her generation, and and is just like eminently watchable in anything that she does. Um, the rest of the movie around her is like okay, like pretty enjoyable to to a point. Um, there are some choices that I have <laughs> serious questions about. This movie opens with. Uh, a really, really bizarre choice. I'm not even sure I want, I, I'm not going to give it away just because it's so strange that, um, that it, it sort of like took me aback. And there's a, there's a, uh, a bookend stylistic choice that's made for this movie that is unlike anything that I've seen in a, a period, you know, a, a period set drama like this. Um, really interesting choice. One that absolutely did not work for me in any way, shape or form, uh, just completely <laughs> took me out of the experience. And, uh, and like, you know, part of me was like, okay, I see this weird thing that you're doing. That's interesting. I'm always down for something new and, and weird and sort of, uh, you know, unexpected. So I appreciate this. Let's see where this goes. And then it just isn't really used in a way that I thought, uh, it could have been or, or, like I just didn't really understand the the point of it. So there's that. And I, I know I'm talking in circles around this thing, but um, it's on Netflix right now. If you want to check it out, it's called the wonder. And again, a movie that like, I think is, uh, is like mostly fine, but definitely worth watching for the lead performance. And, and Florence Pugh is great in it. So I, I will say it's, it's my job to know what's going on in movies. And I did not realize there was a new Netflix Florence Pugh movie because Netflix does not know how to sell their stuff. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, really, really bad on their end. Um, okay, the last thing I caught up with was uh, 2007's Enchanted, which just turned 15 years old. Um, and uh, Disenchanted, the, the sequel is coming to D- Disney Plus, I think tomorrow is when it opened, maybe today. Yep, tomorrow. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed this movie. The, the opening of Enchanted is, um, it takes place in this animated world. This is a movie starring a- Amy Adams, by the way, in case somehow you don't know. Um, the she plays Amy Adams performance? What's that? The greatest Amy Adams performance. Yeah, she's she's really awesome, and and, and you know who rules in this movie is James Marston. He is just like absolutely <laughs> hamming it up in the best way. I want like this is the the type of movie that made me go like, what happened to James Marston? Like, it, of course, it's not like a um, you know I don't feel too bad for him. He he starred in the X Men movies. Like he's certainly had a career and is probably you know fairly well off and all that kind of stuff. But just from a pure uh, charisma perspective he's great in this and it just made me miss all of the um james marsden projects that we didn't get in the ensuing years i feel like he could have slotted into a um a spot that hollywood could have used him in a much better way and something happened i don't know what it was if it was just uh, bad choices or a, a bad agent or whatever the, the case may be there's a million different um possibilities there but it just made me go man i, I missed uh i missed a good marsden vehicle yeah i mean uh <sighs> He gets sucked into the Westworld vortex. All, mm. all, so many good actors get sucked into years of doing Westworld, a show that I think we chronicled on this podcast used to be something we, we loved to death before it quickly stopped being something we loved. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so Amy Adams plays a, um, a fairy tale, uh, animated fairy tale Disney princess who comes into the real world. That's the, the basic premise there. And the opening of this movie of the, of the first Enchanted was like um, kind of overkill for me. Like, the, you know, it's supposed to be a parody of of those uh, tropes and everything to the point where, you know, she falls out of a tree and uh, and the, the animated version of James Marsden's prince character catches her and says, like, Oh my God, you're beautiful. We'll get married tomorrow. You know, it's just like, you know, the Gaston like ramped up to 11, but without the, uh, the inherent misogyny or something, but, um, just the, the, uh, the over the topness of like that animated section had me kind of cringing a little bit like, Oh man, am I really gonna, am I gonna like this? But as soon as it gets into live action, which is very quick and I mean, 10 or 15 minutes into the movie or something, uh, I, I was fully on board with what it was doing. It's very cheesy. Of course it's very, um, it's hard to imagine them making a movie this uh, straightforward now because um, it was the world was just in a, a much different place in 2007. But um, there's some, some good performances, some real, you know, like genuinely fun, funny moments. Timothy Spall plays like a uh, sort of bumbling sidekick character who uh, dresses up in like really kind of borderline offensive costumes and stuff throughout the movie and, and is trying to kill Amy Adams all throughout in, in ways that um, are much more uh, family friendly than I'm probably making it sound. But um, yeah, fun stuff. What do you have any enchanted thoughts, Jacob? It's a really good movie. I, I like that. It is. Um, it came in an era where Disney was able to make a movie that made fun of Disney without like f- fawning itself. Mm-hmm. I feel like, so many recent Disney movies that are about Disney are sort of like, look at how great we are. Or to think that Enchanted is man- managed to capture the feeling of, of, great, of great Disney for storytelling without, like, for lack of a better term, flating itself. Um, it's just it's a really fun thing. It's a really charming thing. I, I like that it's just smart enough for kids and just silly enough for adults. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's good stuff. So Kevin Lima uh, directed this movie. He was also the director of a Goofy movie, and I talked to him for that big uh, oral history of the Goofy movies uh, powerline sequence that I wrote a couple of years ago. And uh, I caught up with him again to talk about this um, uh, director's commentary that he just put he released on YouTube yesterday um, to mark the 15th anniversary. And there was never a commentary on the original DVD of Enchanted, and there was never like an art of book or anything. So he sort of like took things into his own hands and finally released this. Uh, unsanctioned uh, commentary where he just goes through and reveals a ton of uh, behind the scenes um, stories and shares uh, development artwork and and home movies and all sorts of stuff. Um, so if you want to check that out, we wrote about that at Slash Film. I'll link to that article in the show notes. Uh, okay, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. Uh, you can find more about all the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.